Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I wanted to ask you if you're at your most horny when I'm at my most fertile. I, I do sort of keep a record of it in my iCal, but that, that's not weird. <laughs> It's sweet. Although this whole business did bring back very traumatic memories of fertility sex. I remember one time we were having sex to make a baby. My parents should, how long should my parents tune out for? 45 seconds? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's not a sexy story, actually. But no Sorry other about reason. that to Sarah's parents. I mean, they were hoping for a sexy story. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I know you guys wanted a sexy story of my middle-aged sex life. Anyway, we were having sex for no other reason than that I was ovulating and I really, really wanted a child. I think it was the worst it ever was. Like, mm. do you know what made me think of that, that episode of Black Mirror when he had to fuck the pig? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the pig in this scenario? I'm the pig. Okay. <laughs> It was so sad. But anyway, there was this one part where I was like, what if this is the time we make a baby? And the sex was so unloving in its way. I got so concerned that we would like like produce some kind of like psychopath, like a violent psychopath. And this is what I didn't understand with Tom. Surely conjugal visit sex is better than the trying to get pregnant oh, version. Oh, I see where you're going with that. But do you think there's any way Shiv would ever have conjugal visit? No fucking way. Shiv's going to be fucking that Nate while Tom's in prison. You know who I think should fuck at some point? Mm. Dear Jesse, I accept that I will never get to see a big old sex scene. And that's fine. I can look at Pornhub for that in the company of my husband always. But dear Jesse, would you consider showing me a flirtation between Shiv and Stewie? Boom, shakalak, hell yeah. Yo, yo, come in and leave your effing lanyard at the door. We have so much to get through today and we should start with our brain dumps. And I know this is going to be busy and we don't really have time for discussing the opening titles. But does anybody else get anxious when they see that toddler skiing? It's not a toddler, is it? It's like a six-year-old or something. So no, I don't. I get a little anxious when there's a child slightly older than that um, blowing cigar smoke into camera. That gives me less anxiety than seeing that kid That's on That's so skis. interesting, especially when you consider your relationship to smoking. Yeah, I think I'm sort of borderline phobic. If, if I were to suddenly light up a cigarette right here, it would almost be like you watching me blow another man. No, it'd be less enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, so brain dump. What are we seeing in this episode? Basically, we're seeing three dying men. There are three men 
who big picture are dying here. And they're all at different points along their journey toward death. Number one, Sandy. He's going to be gone within a year. Number two, Logan. Number three, the president slash Raisin. There's like all this stuff to do with the mental well-being of all these three men, all of whom are making massive, massive global decisions and are not mentally fit to be doing that. And that's sort of that's part of the arc of this show. Is there anything in it? Oh, my God. You sound like Kendall when he made his speech to his siblings about the age of the big beast. You're mocking me. It wasn't a mock. You can mock me if you want, but then don't fucking pretend like I'm not smart enough to know what a mock is. Okay. I was very, very, very pleased to see at the shareholders meeting, you know, on the stage, as well as Frank and Carl and Jerry and whoever speaking, mm. you've got all the department heads lined up. We see Sid, who who heads up ATN. We also see that strangely piggish man who got overexcited during the game of Boar on the Floor. Yeah, I can't remember if we ever knew the character's name, but he was the one who got far too carried away he and a bit like Lord a, of the like Flies. A sort of tall James Corden. Yes. We see him return here again. I'm so pleased to see his little piggy face. Oh, little piggy face, little piggy eyes. Um, I'd like to identify the great comic moment of this show. And as is very succession, it's sort of occurring amidst like some real vulnerability and sadness in a way. It is when Logan brings Tom into the bathroom for the second time and, and refers to him as son. And then Tom goes... You're welcome, Pop. Papa. Oh, my God. (laughs) But, yeah, it's closely followed by Tom asking if he he needed him to hold the scepter or if Logan had got it caught. (laughs) Have you ever had to help anybody other than a child urinate? Yeah, but it's a dark story. Okay. (laughs) It's a funny question, but it leaves you down a dark path. You're right, you're right, you're right. What was I thinking of? Oh, wait, can I say one more thing on this topic? Mm. When he first says, I need a piss. And everyone's like, oh, that was a dramatic use of language. And Shiv goes, um, oh, oh, d- d- did you want me to reach out to someone? Or <laughs> <laughs> So good. Oh, and I noted down the, the tiny details of some things on the screens in the background, as we like oh, to do. Oh, go ahead. Firstly, at the shareholder meeting, there was lots of, our oceans are remarkable, which I thought, again, was just this really astute observation about how modern corporations behave. It's greenwashing. They're all mm. desperate to show you how socially conscious they are without actually behaving like that, which in a way echoes uh, Kendall's strategy. Yes, and company. the fact that they sort of, you know, that the faces of Waystar Roy Co. are Shiv and Jerry and Carolina because women, yes. da, 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 that same kind of thing. And th- then the other things were at the bottom of ATN News this week. I saw Sinkhole Swallows SUV. Mm. and hero dog wins french medal of honor for helping and then you never get to see what the next word is maybe we could do a caption competition yes i feel people would participate in that finish that sentence hero dog wins french medal of honor for helping dot 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 what is the blank at the end of that sentence will we award the funniest yeah maybe even a prize oh a non-fungible token you mentioned your rabbit spunky last week did you ever feed him bagel? No, but I, I cannot wait to talk about this bagel situation. My whole life, I have said, <laughs> a cinnamon bagel is disgusting. It is fucking foul. I say this is a woman who would eat most anything, including Stewie's big dick. <laughs> and apparently my husband would like to watch. I didn't say I'd like to watch you do that. I just said I would rather. But anyway, one of the one of the lines was... Leave a rabbit with a big gulp and a dozen cinnamon raisin. And that, to me, I want to know who wrote that line. Because as a Jew, I feel a Jew wrote that line. That is a true understanding of bagel culture. We should mention 
who will be our guest for this episode. And it's an exciting one. Here's the thing. He's just a comedian. He's just a fucking comic. His name is Nish Kumar, voice of a goddamn generation, king among kings. And can I say as somebody who enjoys what comedians can do in a room, I've never seen someone who can destroy in a room in quite the way that Nish can. He makes me want to never do it again. And he's so nice. He's fantastic. Don't we just love him so much? So much. And he recently hosted an event with Jesse Armstrong where he got to talk to him a lot about writing. So we get to interview him about interviewing Jesse Armstrong, among other things. And before we get into the episode in depth, news for you. So we're more than halfway through the series at this point. We're five episodes in. It's going to be a nine-episode series. Yes. And already our, our, our minds are turning towards that final episode. And we thought, it'll be so exciting in the week building up to it. Wouldn't it be great to get some people in a room mm-hmm. who, who feel the same way? So what are we going to do about it, Jeff? We are doing a live event. We're going to do a live event! And we would love for you to be there. Basically what it's going to be, right, is it's going to be the Friday sprinkles, but served to you on Sunday afternoon. And it's going to be, you know, you get it. They're not stupid. They don't need this shit explained to them. It's going to be us sort of doing this, but we will be in a room with an audience. Again, generally, I do better with an audience than you do, but I'm not going to be able to prowl the stage in the way that I want. I'm just going to be sat down, robbed of my power, but... Hopefully we'll have some chemistry. We're going to get some guests. We're going to, we're, it's, it's going to be this, but with you in the room. We'll be at 21 Soho. Which is in London. At 4 p.m. on Sunday, the 12th of December. It will be us. How long do you think it'll be? An hour and a half? I Not guess, longer yeah. than that. We would never go longer than that. We'll do an interval. That's important for people to know. The bar will be open. It'll be fun. It'll be Christmassy. We'll be live. We'll have guests. And it is on sale now so grab those tickets there is a link in the episode notes for this podcast and we'll also stick one on twitter as well we'd love for you to be there and as ever we would love to hear from you your thoughts on this week's episode as we go through it loads of questions will come up but the email address if you haven't already committed it to memory fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com i would like to posit that there are two relevant parties in this week's episode. Oh, shit. Okay. They are the Roys minus the prodigal son mm-hmm. and the Sandys. Has Kendall got a purpose in all of this? He's acting as if he's in a situation room. But really, what difference does he make other than leaking a bit of information to Shiv about where Stewie and Sandy and Sandy are up to in their minds? But you'd have thought they'd have been able to get there with that anyway. The scene where Logan is starting to lose it and Kendall comes in. And so he's sort of screaming at his brother and sister like he's in charge of him and he's the elderly brother. And they're like, we'd like you to leave now. You're you're not welcome here. But Kendall is absolutely the one with the sort of power and fortitude in that scene. Until Roman eventually goes like, oh, you, you, you probably slipped him something, Putin, and has this sort of explosion and lands a good line. So first of all, that was just... It was a beautiful scene, as those scenes always are when those three get so, to do... Re- so sibling-y. It felt so real. And it's kind of silent in that. Yeah. 
So he's not going to say you're not welcome, you're not wanted, because that's the most painful thing for him to hear. So he's not going to say it to somebody else. Well, it's, it, is it that or is it also just like it's there is just this thing that's those three and Connor yeah. doesn't have a place and sort of fucks with that mm. rhythm. But I think what that what that scene did beyond just giving me something about which to go, oh, that's so amazing. This is so amazing. Is it it helped clarify this thing roman's love for his father is a completely different thing from what definitely like shiv i think hates him Mm. and i don't think that he was very cruel to her in this episode but i just think like shiv's relationship to him and kendall's too is so different from like roman's number one thing is to have a healthy and alive father i think he cares about that more than power it's too painful for him to see logan slum yep he just can't handle it even the arrival of logan at the beginning is exciting to roman because it's like his dad he's gonna come and kick yep, ass and he's his... the dad at the he's you know the son at his dad's knee at the end of the mm-hmm. episode whereas i do think the the most important thing to shiv and kendall is their own power so here's an interesting question go on was this Logan's fuck up? Was it that he didn't want to take his pills? Or was it somebody else's fuck up? Should um, Kerry, when he said to her, I want you out front with the shit munchers, taking the temperature of the room, should she have made sure that Colin had the right pills? Who who messed up here? Listen, I, th- I think we teach people how to treat us, Oprah Winfrey, and she has learned from Logan that now that because their relationship feel like she, Carrie wasn't in seasons one or two, was she? She's in a little bit in series. So two, the point but, is, yeah. is that there she, she's taking on increasing responsibilities here, and she's now learning she needs to be at his side basically at all times. So when Logan's asking for his pills and and Colin's asking about Advil and Tylenol, paracetamol and ibuprofen, is it a miscom miscommunication? Yes. Yeah. So is it is it that even that that Logan is trying to do the right thing? But our number one person in that regard isn't there to do her job. How are you feeling about your boy Colin, though? He misjudged the pill situation. I don't think he misjudged. Nope, that's not fair. <laughs> Logan also asked him about the deal and his opinion was as good as useless. That's not what was being shown. Colin wasn't given the information on the pills. So that wasn't his responsibility. When Logan says to him, what did you think of the deal? That was not about showing anything about Colin because Colin doesn't fuck up. That was a subtle, subtle, subtle signal to us as the viewer that something was off with Logan. It's the first granule of salt in the water to be like, why would he ask Colin that? So Colin's response is relevant. Okay, okay. And I will say that Colin did a really amazing job of getting rid of that dead cat, the imaginary dead cat. It was like watching a a special agent or something. Incredible. I had a similar situation where... um, somebody who I think perhaps was was a little unwell in the street a while ago screamed at me, look out, there's a cat running between your legs. Mm. And it wasn't a real cat, it was in their imagination. But you summoned whatever good acting skills exist within you? Out of awkwardness, really, because I didn't want to make oh, them honey, feel embarrassed. It's, no, that's it's out of kindness. That's something you did just out of kindness. Because I didn't want them to be embarrassed or to be sent into a further psychosis thinking that this cat had run through my legs and then maybe I was in some way demonic Mm. or of the spirit world. I believe that what all of our listeners have taken from that is that you're a little hero. (laughs) You're just an empathetic hero. Um, I have a few questions. Mm. So just generally here, when did it enter the conversation that Sandy was sick? The, the syphilis thing has definitely been mentioned before. But he doesn't have syphilis. I think he does have syphilis. 
that's what he's sick from, syphilis? I think so. And I think syphilis as well is always sexually transmitted. But he looks like he's dying. People don't die from syphilis, do they? I think they can get really poorly from it. Syphilis? This isn't like dementia? It can cause um, cognitive deterioration. Holy shit. It's mainly spread through vaginal, anal or oral sex or by sharing sex toys with someone who's infected. Wasn't Sandy at that sex party at yes. Tom's? Oh my God, so is that when he got syphilis? Maybe he's had it prior God, what to a dark had it turn. Prior to that. Which of those things do you think is most likely for Sandy? Do you think it's the sharing option? These powerful guys are into some weird shit sexually, don't you think? Have you ever had any STDs? Yeah, I, I should have asked you this when we yeah, got yeah, together. Yeah. I had, um, what's the one that everyone has? Oh yeah. HPV. I had HPV in my cervix in like 1999. But like everyone has it if you've taken like more than three sexual partners, which darling, you know that I have. Taken. <laughs> taken. I um I had genital warts, but they weren't transmitted sexually. They're transmitted from my hands. I had many verrucas on one foot, and I was constantly prodding at them. That then spread to my hand, and from my hand, it made its way downward. That's so disgusting. I told you about when I had them burned off. So it was just after Lady Diana had died, and uh, I, I, I signed a condolence book in the waiting room of the STD clinic, just out of boredom. I didn't write anything facetious. I was, I was, swept, I was swept, swept up in the mood of grief. And then the thing, I don't know if they still do, but the thing they used to burn it up looked a bit like a gun. So it's liquid nitrogen yeah. coming out of a thing that looked like a gun. And the doctor looked across my crotch at the nurse who was on the other side of the, the, the stretcher and blew the end of the gun. No, like he was a, a cowboy. No, a liar. No. He was having a little flirty laugh with the nurse. Because as... that, that process is extremely physically painful, it isn't was, it? It wasn't nice. Did you get any sense that Stewie is not quite in a Kendall role, but in somewhere between a Kendall and a Shiv role in the Sandy Sandy setup? Yeah, I felt like the best clue we get to that is when when they're all sort of have that first sort of initial meeting when we first see the ill male Sandy. And there's one point where Jerry like asks for a minute and he's like, oh yeah, you've got some seconds and we sort of see Hope Davis. And she gives him this sort of exasperated look and I think we then see, he's this is the reason that um, Stewie is better than Kendall is Stewie's got a little bit of Roman in him. Yes. What he is, is he's, he's a good mix of some Roman and some Kendall. And I felt like we sort of saw this rekindling of a friendship between Stewie and Kendall, which I kind of enjoyed. I really, really like that too. In some ways, is Stewie the man that Kendall thinks he is? Yes. And do you wish that they would give the OG Sandy... Do you wish that they would give him a little bell like Hector Salamanca oh in Breaking Bad? Oh, my God. Yeah, that would be the perfect touch. <laughs> it's so weird having his daughter translate everything he says from his moans and grunts, his like his breath, Chewbacca. His breath must fucking stink as well. <laughs> and she is right up into it. Shout out to her sleeves. Those were some cool sleeves on that business suit. Quickly, just on this topic of fashion, all of Kendall's team is dressed exactly the same. He and Jess look exactly the same. And then the social media team, they're all dressed in white shirts and black suits. I enjoyed that. But I, I didn't I missed seeing his little rumpy rump this week. <laughs> and we did finally get a bit of Jess eye rolling about the rabbit. I was gonna say we sort of got an answer to your question. Okay. When Shiv sees Sandy the dad and Sandy the daughter, does something in that dynamic because she, all Shiv wants is power. Shiv, we are seeing it more and more episode by episode. Like Shiv thinks she deserves this and she could really do it and she's ready to move. And is the idea of an increasingly decrepit father, 
with her sort of more in command kind of excite her? In, in a sort of f- Ghost of Christmas future way. Yeah. It really seems to get her back up to the extent that it goes straight in the back pocket and she uses it a little later. The thing that she says about, I just do what my dad yeah. wants, like same same as you guys. So you think these are very different women? I think so. But oh, I think, okay, I think but, you're right on but, that. But then I think Shiv is trying to convince her that they're similar women. They similar and that's how women. she ends up with the deal that she's got. Let, which, let's not forget, the whole arc of the episode, which is about what deal might be struck before it goes to a shareholder vote, it, it opens in that hotel, in that Marriott, with Carl saying four seats would be kind of a disaster. And this is treated like the worst thing that can happen. And what was unclear to me about the fact that we then wind up with four seats, is it actually not as terrible as we were initially led to believe because Shiv also gets another seat? Or is it like, no, no, this is still a disaster? Haven't they already lost more? They've lost the private jets at this point. There's this clause about a a Roy never becoming chief executive, which they're trying to work around and fudge a little bit. What I loved about this episode is that I loved... So, as you said, initially four seats is presented as this disaster. It's then what Shiv achieves, and she's treated like a hero... Similarly with Roman, he takes this phone call where he's the one that has to talk to the president. I think it's kind of quite disastrous, but he has that moment where he's like, oh, but I think you're a a, 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 a character of great historical significance. And we can see the room sort of being like, okay, Roman's doing it. And I am telling you that Logan would have viewed these actions of both these children as disastrous because actually they kind of were, but all the other minions around them are sort of doing this little bit of hero worship when actually they've done a pretty shit job. And that's why Logan is the genius, is he's the one who sees the truth of their actions. Well, there's, uh, there's, there's a couple of interesting questions about that Roman call. The first one is, what was Jerry up to getting Roman to do it rather than taking the call herself? Was I it? That. Was it that Jerry is ultimately somebody who likes to distance herself from a disaster? We've seen that time and time yeah. again, and that's how she survived. Or when she describes him as a bootleg Logan and that bit where he says you picked your prince and even on stage at some point she describes him as their visionary chief operating officer. Is it Jerry pushing Roman forward? I think it's... I guess it's ever with these things a little bit of both, right? Like it 100% seems so Jerry-y to not want anything that puts her at risk. But also I think she does think it could be an opportunity for him. Mm. And I think he fucks it. And then the big question is, and you can apply this more generally to, to the episode, what would Logan have done differently that would have saved this situation or, or, or given a better outcome? So that take that call, for example. Mm-hmm. How would Logan have persuaded the President of the United States, who has been bullied to the point of not seeking a second term by his TV network, how would Logan have manipulated this president into running for re-election? I don't know that he would have, right? But it would have... It, it, it's not that the outcome wouldn't, would have been different. It's that it would have been a conversation between equals. So Logan would have been losing from a position of power. And then how about the deal with the Sandys and Stewie? Because Logan asks the smart question, which is why are they ready to make a deal? Yeah. But then he shows some really bad instincts as well, Well, like wanting the world to see that they bent over for him. I was trying to watch sort of line by line of when he goes from the shrewdest guy in the room 
to not quite with it. And it is unclear to me, as I'm sure it's supposed to be, when he first goes, fuck him. Is that fuck him, the, the sort of badass? Or is it so, so clear that they're never going to win this vote, that it is the, the first sign that something is is off mentally? And I don't know. Here's something I thought was interesting, was the, the, that the private jet thing would make a difference. The Roys are so rich personally that if they wanted to buy jets that didn't belong to the company, they could do that and it wouldn't affect them materially. Although I have heard that that if you ever get mega wealthy, that is a way that you can lose it if you start spending too much of your own money on private jets. I think that's what happened to MC Hammer. Wasn't it what sort of they're just trying to fuck them? Just making their lives inconvenient for people whose lives are about a total just convenience at every possible turn. They'd be condemning them to a world of movies and and over-refrigerated cheeses. Speaking of which, Connor. Logan doesn't actually agree to him running the European cable operations. He doesn't he doesn't say no either. He wraps that conversation up by saying, Where's the John? Connor then responds with a fist bump. Yeah. What do you make of Connor's assessment of his siblings? I thought it was pretty astute. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. It was Shiv's a fake. Yep. Roman's a knucklehead. And, and then Kenny's screwy. Yeah, that's just right. This is, again, this thing with Connor is that he comes in and he's such a moron. When it comes to his siblings, he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about. I really wish they'd let him speak to the president. Oh, my God. I want to know where Willa is. Yes. Where is she gone? Mm. Dear Jesse, do you feel like I'm trying to make Dear Jesse happen too much? Uh, We haven't touched on Greg. Yes. I found him so unlikable on this episode and it was the kind of thing where i loved not liking him you have no moral compass not that anyone else in the show does but that's fine we're just talking about you right now all you've ever been about is is sort of playing everyone off each other to get the best thing to you for you and now you've been backed into a corner and i sort of want to watch you burn did you like kendall being menacing towards him yeah i did i liked that i liked watching his grandpa scream at him it was one of the only times i've ever found you in likable when Ewan defends his friend and is like, you tried to fuck with my friend. We're done here. I thought it was one of the only moments of actual loyalty we've seen in the show. And as you know, I don't really value loyalty. I think it's annoying. <laughs> I think when people talk about their own loyalty, it's because they don't have other interesting shit to say about themselves. I think it is an overrated quality. Nonetheless, it is a good thing, and it's the only time I feel I've seen this. It was just him sticking up for a friend for no other reason than that someone had done his friend wrong. Some part of me would love to see Greg walk away empty-handed from this whole fucking thing. I loved when there was a moment where he tried to interact with Jerry. <laughs> just oh, she just went, no. Yeah, yeah. She was like, no. <laughs> on, on Ewan, here's a way in which Ewan and Logan are very similar. They use their power... Now, in Logan's case, it's his wealth, but it's also the company and positions within that company. In Ewan's case, it's more about just his money. They use the power they have to make their family dance for them. We don't know what went on with Greg's mum, but if Greg had to guarantor a uh, a credit card for her, and there's some suggestion in the earlier episode that, that Ewan's cut her off, now he's doing it to Greg. Now, I'm not saying Greg deserves that inheritance. Inherited wealth can be so terrible in so many ways. But isn't he just Logan, but with a bunch of values that he likes to show to the world? Yeah, I think it's the same thing. When we see him at lunch with Greg, and he goes, your life is not a bagatelle. Did you know what a bagatelle is? Is it some kind of game? Yes, but I confuse it with an Italian noodle. 
Ah. Tagliatelle. Well, life is a minestrone. Life's a minestrone? This is a famous song. How does it go? I'm, I'm not going to sing on this podcast. I lack your vocal gifts. Mm. I'm not an isolated vocals guy. You like to do harmonies. What shape of pasta did you believe a bagatelle to be? A tagliatelle. Ah. Uh, tagliatelle. Um, I went for dinner with a friend of mine the other night and he really pronounced oh, the sh- pasta name shit. in the Italian accent. What pasta did he have? Pappardelle. And you're telling me that your friend went, I'll have the pappardelle. Yeah, yeah, pappardelle. Oh my God, were you embarrassed for him? You're not going to speak freely, are you, right now? I know you. (laughs) You were a little embarrassed, because he's not someone you get embarrassed for. But you're telling me you were embarrassed. I was was surprised. You went, I've known you for a long time. There's one giveaway that he'd be the type of person. Mm. He loves opera. Yes. And a lot of opera is Italian. Yes. So I wonder if he consumes much more Italian language than we're aware of. Mm. And therefore, it was just in him to go, Papa Dei. He went Dei? Yes. Yeah. 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 It was um, it was quite something. But I know I am guilty of this with certain Swedish words oh, as well. Oh, your, your humiliation where Swedish words are concerned. <laughs> Do you think Ewan has ever liked Greg? No. Early, early no. on, early on, when Greg first gets his job at ATN, he is slightly uncomfortable with the values. That all seems to have gone now. But was Greg a good kid? No. I mean, spinoff show. Let's make it about Greg's mom. That's what I want. Like, who is she? What is the story of her with her father? We, you know. So I, I don't think those two have ever had a truly loving and beautiful moment between them ever. But is he trying to mold him into anything? No, I don't think he's moldable into the kind of thing that Ewan wants to mold. And um, and, and when Logan goes piss mad, oh. he, he, he shouts the name Rose. Rose is an interesting name to, to bring up in the context of Ewan. Right, so there are three things that happen. The first big thing, which is sort of the least interesting, is that he calls Shiv Marsha, so fine. He asks for Caroline, which is the, the, the mother of his three main children. <laughs> That's the way he sees them. There's no problem with you saying it. Um, then there's a comment about when they're, act- when they're dealing with this supposed imaginary cat under the chair. He says that he doesn't want Rose to see it. Now, Rose is his dead sister. We know from season two... That when they're trying to fuck with Rhea at that birthday party, they're like, oh, mention, like they get her to mention. This is Kendall and Shiv. Yeah, they get Rhea to mention Rose because they're trying to fuck with her. And when we learn at some point in that episode that that's a sister who died and he ultimately holds himself responsible for her death. Mm. So this dead sister comes up. And then the other interesting thing is that he doesn't want people being nasty to Frank. I thought that was just there to give us, A, a bit of um, light comedy, but B, to show us that Logan is a beast, but he's very loyal and he won't let anybody else be a beast to his people. Did you have more? There's one thing that I want to make sure everyone rewatches the episode for. I'm not even kidding. Your life will be empty if you do not follow this instruction. As we are starting to realize, oh, okay, he's going full cuckoo pants. When he calls Shiv Marsha, the camera goes on to Shiv. Behind her is Jerry with the rest of the team. Jerry's stance is so wide, you won't believe it. (laughs) It's almost as though she's going to go into a full split. You have to put, make sure that you rewatch just that moment to see the wideness of her stance. <laughs> so as, as a seasoned live performer, yes. if you had to rank, who, who do we see on the stage? We saw Frank, Jerry, 
Carl, and of course Kendall. <sighs> best to worst. I think the number one was Frank. Yes, he was quite boring, but he, he held it together. I just, I thought none of them, the, the whole point here is no one had the magic. But basically, I thought Jerry and Frank were okay. They also both knew what to do with having to deviate from the teleprompter. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think either of them were bad. In fact, I thought they were both pretty competent. I also love when Carl is applauded onto the stage and uh, just says to Frank that the, the deal is in jeopardy and walks off again. And yet, when he has good news to deliver, oh. it's, Frank, you've done enough. I'll, I'll go out there and do this. And there was that... Um, oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, say it because I can't find it. You're, you're thinking, bon chance, Franco. Oh, it was two things. So it's, it's bon chance, Franco. And when they say, Carl, vamp. Oh, yeah. Carl Vamp. And then Roman goes, oh, great, Carl Vamping. I mean, one of my favorite moments. And then, you know, was Kendall's shuffle sort of sidestep, let's call it a sidestep (laughs) on stage, when he asks for the moment of silence for the victims and then begins to list their names? Was it the cringiest cringe? Was Was it worse than fuck the patriarchy? I was trying to think about the visceral noise you made on our sofa when you saw that. And I would say that the, the two things are on a level. So we have that scene where Kendall's with his publicist, Barry, in the corridor, and she's saying there's a strength in your absence, don't worry about it. And yet he feels the need to go on stage. What is that about? Because the Stewie Sandy thing, a deal has been reached. What is Kendall trying to gain? Power, right? You sort of said, I think, when we started recording this, like this was the episode in which Kendall felt the least relevant. And he's trying to stay relevant in that moment. he feels that about himself, right? And he's trying to then become relevant. So so is Kendall trying to impress the people in the room who didn't seem impressed by him? Or is Kendall thinking about how it will play on Twitter? Or what Z-Way, uh, the Sophie show, will be saying about it that both, evening. surely, right? Like right. an eye on both. I don't even think it's an eye on both. I, I think it's just this thirst for power. And, and, and is he brand building for his Wokahontas? Yes, Wokahontas yes, right. was very much with us. Um, I was wondering, like, when, when he, because he gets a little smattering of applause. So wondering, like, what percentage of people in that audience did actually applaud? And was it out of sort of genuinely appreciating the sentiment? Or was it just people being like, this is so awkward, I feel like I'm dying? I think it's people not knowing what to do. So he's mentioned these dead women and a foundation. And it's probably people thinking, I should probably clap that. Oh, my God. It doesn't God. seem like it's clap playing great in this room. But yeah, clap yeah. the reading of the names. All right. Well, there must be a bunch of stuff that we missed. It was such a dense episode. Maybe we've only just scratched the surface there. So what do you think? Uh, What are your theories, queries, observations? And of course, don't forget, we want to know what they think that thing the dog did that was so heroic that was referenced in the headline. Oh, yes. Once again, that headline was, Hero Dog wins French Medal of Honor for helping blank. You fill in the blank. And you'll win something, but we're not sure what yet. Tell us what we got wrong. Tell us what we got right. Tell us what we haven't even considered. The email address. Fuck off. At firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, the look that just fell across your I face love just thinking about him. I love his stand-up so much. Nish Kumar. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm delighted to uh, to have coaxed today's guest out of his hermit-like existence, <laughs> his state of semi-retirement. People have been saying, where has he gone? Has anybody seen Nish Kumar? And yet here he is talking about succession. Hello. Lovely to see you both. Hello, I am, Nish. as you know, I have retired from show business. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice to dip my... Uh, Dip my toe back in the pool. Yeah, it's the comeback. Thrilled this is the to comeback. Be that well, yeah. if I may quote LL Cool J, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I guess I, uh, a, a great justification for having you on this podcast, other than the exclusive of, of coaxing you out of semi-retirement, is that you you hosted a big event. Was it at the BFI? Yeah, I'm a journalist, Jeff. Yeah, I'm one. <laughs> I'm I'm Woodward and Bernstein, all wrapped up with one delicious chocolate bow. The big event was the night before. That was the big premiere, and they had all the cast members. And then the next day, in screen one at the Curzon. So actually, given given the scale of the man, uh, it was quite a, an intimate room. Uh, I interviewed. Uh, I did a Q and A for the London Film Festival. Um, with Jesse Armstrong, right? And so when they asked me, I was I was absolutely thrilled to do it. And you know, it was uh, like through Peep Show, the thick of it. I'm a I'm an Armstrong stan. You know, I I I go back to the start with him. With the level of excitement, how much anxiety then? As someone who doesn't then interview all the time, did you feel about getting to sit oh, down like, with this I'm- sort of quasi hero? Yeah, unbelievable amounts of anxiety. Did you puke beforehand or do lots of duties? Because you have told me personally before that sometimes puking and duties has preceded the things that continue to make you anxious professionally. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't passing solid stools (laughs) at all anyway. So it just sort of added to the general, it just added to the general colonic (laughs) discomfort. Looking into that bowl, you wouldn't be able to separate. No, it's hard to know. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to know what percentage (laughs) of that was to do with my general levels of anxiety and what was. But I prepared for it. Like I properly, like I went back and I watched, uh, you know, three or four Peep Show episodes, Fresh Meat. I rewatched In the Loop, and then, fortunately, I had just rewatched all of Succession anyway. Um, So I was very up to date with it. You you managed to use this as leverage to get every single episode yes, HBO. of the new series out of HBO. So so you've seen it all. So are you talking to us almost feeling like godlike, somebody who exists outside of time, you know, the past, the present and the future? Are you like Doctor Who? What what is this well, feeling so that you look, have? Here's the thing. HBO very kindly sent me their like press pack of the first seven episodes. And so I have not seen the last two. Uh-huh. I've seen the first seven. All I will say is 
that is given the events of episode seven, that is a very frustrating position to be in. So what I would say is I am Ozymandias. Look upon my works, you mighty, and despair. You might think it's great, but it's, it's created its own pro- yeah, it's created its own it's created its own problems. Can I go back to one thing before we move on? Mm. How did you feel you did in your interview? Like when it was sort of all the next day, your interview with Jesse, were you like I nailed that. Well, I'll tell you this. He's a very nice man. This is what we've heard. And from the beginning, he was sort of very keen that the audience have a good time. And I was sort of a bit like, I mean, they're going to have a good time. Yeah. Like, I, you know. They're looking at your face. Yeah, they're looking at your face. They're, They're going to have a good time. And he was also really enthusiastic about the idea. And this was the case that there would be young writers in the room. Uh, and so he was very keen to pass on things that interesting things that he'd learned afterwards my reflection on it was i don't know that anyone is going to be like that guy nailed that interview that was like frost nixon but where frost was actually a big fan of nixon so it's not quite a perfect <laughs> it's not quite a perfect analogy what about him though like in terms of like what you you were able to glean about him the way he writes the way he looks at life the way he approaches a show like what what's uh, what's stuck with you he would sort of drop the odd, We I, he's sort of like, I tried to write down some advice that I've been given and things that I've picked up that I could give to writers. So he would occasionally throw to Jesse's big book of wisdom where he was sort of saying, you never write joke jokes. Every single thing you write for every single character has to be an organic thing that that person would say in that specific moment. It mustn't be the case that you think of something funny and then try and wedge it into one of the characters' mouths. And the other thing, the thing that I thought was really interesting was we talked a lot about the balance with succession of how of writing quote unquote unlikable characters he said that you don't want to do pr for these people you have to be careful to not make sure the show is turgid propaganda which again i didn't particularly enjoy him quoting directly from reviews of my stand-up show from 2016 (laughs) i still felt the advice was good i thought that that balance was really interesting and it was very interesting listening to him talk about the humanity in these unlikable characters without ever losing sight of the fact that they are fundamentally unpleasant people. And that's that, I think, is the genius of the show, because you're constantly having, feeling like you're, every time it feels like you're really building up a relationship with one of the characters, they slightly pull the wool from under you and remind you that these are terrible people. Was there any point when you were, you're sat there with Jesse Armstrong, is there any part of you that's like, okay, listen, I'm known as a stand-up. I've done some presenting. But I can fucking act. And Jesse Armstrong, we're going to have this chemistry. He's going to see my charisma. He's going to see my magic. And this guy is going to write me into a show. Like, 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 like Mel Brooks when he sees Larry David yes. singing karaoke. Yeah, 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 producers, yeah, yeah. Although we then learn that his motives are great. But, but do you, do you, does any part of your brain think, maybe, this could maybe Jesse's going to see something in me that even I don't know is there? Yes. No, I, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this maybe is a good insight into the way that my brain works. That didn't really occur to me at all. And I say that very genuinely. I'll tell you what really was I was thinking the whole time was, don't do something that results in you inspiring a character in season four. <laughs> like, I had this, like, nightmarish image of, uh, you know, like, Shiv being interviewed on a Q&A. And, and they're like, oh, this guy's a fucking comedian. 
and he's come to do it into and I had this like nightmarish thing of like oh my god yeah, right, you like, know and also like you can almost like immediately you know oh my god it's like uh, a supermarket owned brand Stewie has come to task me questions <laughs> <laughs> That's where my oh. uh, sense of self-esteem is. I was not aiming for a part. What I was aiming to try and avoid was inspiring a character <laughs> on the show. <laughs> but he was a good dude, man. And it's really, there's something very inspiring about meeting somebody who is at the very pinnacle of where show business is right now and seeing them be an extremely normal person who is very polite and very pleasant and also very generous of spirit. I was delighted by uh, what a pleasant man he was. Oh, here's, here's something I wanted to ask you about. I mean, you you, you are a real woke hunter. I mean, you are one of the one Mr. of the wokest, one of the leading heart liberal, lefty yeah. commie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you um Britain hating scum? Do you um do you look at anything on that show in that world of opulence or or just the sort of sharpest end of capitalism? And does any part of you think? I know this is this is this isn't in align with my values but i would just just love a love a little taste of that one of the other interesting things that he said in the interview was that he said one of the wealth consultants the first thing they said was none of these people's houses are actually very nice they're obviously like very opulent but they're not very nice because they were all a bit like surely all their homes are absolutely amazing and he was like no because they have five houses and they get the same designer to come in and make them all look i think the thing he said was like the same mid-range hotel <laughs> and one of the interesting things to come out of the interview was that is a very deliberate production design decision you don't want to take a week aboard the Solange then I don't get yachts my idea of a luxury holiday is not I feel mildly queasy for a fortnight <laughs> I've never understood why bobbing around is considered luxury <laughs> What I was wondering about is like you're you're this good you're a decent person you can get along with people you can have a chat which of the Roys do you, none of whom have friends, right? None of these people yeah. have a friend anywhere. Who would you be the most able to befriend? My concern is that Connor and I would get on like a house on fire. I, I thought the same thing. Why, why do you think it is? <laughs> it's just because we're both, we're both quite deluded individuals. <laughs> <laughs> Your um, politics might preclude this from ever happening for, for you I think but certainly in terms of where you are in your career there are lots of people at that level who find themselves invited to a summer party where they would be seated next to a Murdoch and then you see these photos of somebody you think is one of the good guys yeah clinking champagne glasses I think it's unlikely that I am going to be invited to dinner at the Murdochs I think I may have publicly blotted my copybook with most of the British <laughs> rights <laughs> because they rightly fear I would drop a deuce where a deuce should not have been dropped. And they're right to think that. If I went, I would really fill up on some unpleasant stuff. <laughs> As a big hip-hop fan, what do you make of Kendall's relationship with that music? I mean, it's it, it's the most excruciating thing. I rewatched the pilot again very recently and just thinking about the way that Kendall is introduced as a character, listening to the Beastie Boys in the back of that car and like getting himself psyched up. And then he walks in to the negotiation with Volta and says, uh, so are we going to fuck or not? Or something, something to that like effect. You know everything about this guy. It's all, it's all there. It's, all, it's there. all there. It's excruciating in its observation. In the moment of listening to it, he does love it. Isn't there 
some episode, I think, in the yeah, first series, some- we learn that uh, part of Waystar's sprawling empire is also a record company, and we see him sort of like hanging <laughs> around a dressing room, but the artist won't actually meet him, so it's just him and Stewie in a horrible buffet in a green room. Oh. But it's hard to tell with him, isn't it? Because is there a true love of hip-hop, or has he invented this idea of what he thinks a person should be? I don't know. I, th- I think the clue to that might be an L to the OG. Yeah. <laughs> L to the OG, I think about that probably twice a week, unprompted. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it is that he actually is a guy who likes rap music and should have taken the buyout when when Stewie offers him half a billion. He should have taken the half a billion and gone and listened to rap music and he he would have been very happy in his life. But actually, the invented character that he's desperately trying to pull his own personality towards is the son that he thinks his father most wanted to have. That's why you end up with him saying things like words are just complicated airflow. (laughs) (laughs) Another moment that has worked its way into our uh, family, I would say, is that now when either one of us comes home, instead of sort of doing like a joke of like, oh, honey, I'm home, is that we like to open the door and go, Family, family. <laughs> of course, references uh, an off the wagon Kendall in New Mexico. Bang, family, family. That scene is such a pressure cooker. Oh, God. That scene is such a pressure. You forget, and, and you, it's always worth noting how, uh, the, the number of writers on staff that are playwrights, because there are points where they assemble these kind of Harold Pinter style. Oh family pressure cooker situations and I love the way that they put a bullet in every chamber and now it's Russian roulette with six in the chamber like it's just it's just bullet 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 and then we're out it's Chekhov's machine gun yeah that's right yeah (laughs) all right before we bring it home we were trying to decide last week what we think Logan watches on TV and I want to take sport out of it. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that he's watching anything okay. meaningfully. I always think about that scene when he's watching sport because I do think it's so interesting. Sport is something that men like that project an element of aggressive competition and hostility. And 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 that's why a lot of guys like that end up doing what he does, which is uh he buys war memorabilia. Like everything is conflict. To men like him. And so the only pleasure I would say, the only thing he does in his downtime apart from watch sport is I would say he reads historical books about wars and about generals and he watches Civil War documentaries. He might watch something like Braveheart. You know, that might be the only film that he sort of enjoys. I think guys like that see themselves as warriors and soldiers. Let's usher you into the uh, into the shareholder meeting here. You're on the Here board, as implausible as that that might seem for a man of your values. <laughs> um, you get a vote. Who, according to Nish Kumar, should be the next CEO of Waystar Royco? Uh, morally, you think it probably should be Shiv, because Shiv is an idiot, but Shiv at least has some like impulses that lean towards maybe a more progressive outlook. Who do I think it should be in terms of who is the next Logan? Roman. Absolutely, ah. Roman, Roman ha- is vicious enough and unpleasant enough. But I think if you're talking about what the actual structure of that company is and what it's designed to do, you have to have a piece of shit in charge. What an interesting value system you have, Nish, to protect your investment. Oh my God, let's cancel them. <laughs> yeah. Let's cancel them. It's a piece of shit company and it needs to be run by somebody who 
self-identifies as a piece of mm. shit. Nish. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. A- I could talk about succession with oh you guys my God. all day. I love the show. The best. Before we go, to illustrate both quantity and quality, can you run through some of your favourite lines from this week's episode? Here I go. Like a glass fucking slipper. Leave a rabbit with a big gulp and a dozen cinnamon raisin. Okay, Shadow Chamber, HQ to Shadow Resistance. What up? How we feeling? Rise and grind, baby. Yo, yo, you sweating me on Golden Pond? Sweaty spaghetti. Those pussies aren't going to bail once they hear God speak. Our semen-stained family scrapbook. Shouldn't you be on a rainbow soapbox somewhere shouting time's up? Save that for Vanity Fair, bro. I'm good. Beefy Logan Voodoo, the angriest fucking vegetable. Puppet Master out. Yes, thank you. I no longer wish to receive these calls. <laughs> Been doing He's some... very unsubscribed. He's very unsubscribed. Been doing some panic Googling there, Carl. I don't do ancient history. <laughs> I think when I start trying to act these lines, it's just excruciating. I'm working on that. Let's get this done and trip the light fantastic. They'll probably just chuck you and fuck you to get to the red meat. If he can do people, he can do rabbits. First they came for the PJs, and I said nothing. Then they come for the outsized compensation payments. Carl, vamp! Oh, great, Carl vamping. Bon chance, Franco. Any Anytime, pop. Papa. <laughs> Hercule Poirot, a fucking piss over here. <laughs> Send him up by a trap door surrounded by dry ice. The demented fucking pisshead king of England. You probably slipped him something, Putin. A fucking Tabasco suppository. Do you think it's possible to sue a grandparent, but in an affectionate way that might convey, I love you and I'm glad you're part of my life, but I'm taking legal action against you. (laughs) Go fuck it up, moron. Bootleg Roman. Boom, shakalaka. Hell yeah. (laughs) Four seats. No PJs. I think I'm most horny when you're most fertile. I counted the days on my eye, Cal. It's not creepy. I have six more ovulation windows till all sex is prison sex. I don't want to be your fucking incubator for when you're in prison doing chin-ups and reading Nausgaard, which, I mean, that Nausgaard reference. Oh, just perfect. Perfect. I don't want us to look too snobby by really just banging on about how perfect a literary reference that was, but it was perfect. I say this as a fan of some of... uh, You know, I only read that one of his. Um, I'm not going to hump you. It's just a hug. Tremendous. We'll be back with Friday Sprinkles. Some questions... For where we go next, does Greg need to pick a side? Yeah. What are the implications of him moving around? What do you think his best move could be? Yes. A new rabbit? A different pet? Maybe a Tamagotchi would be safer. Do you think that that exchange between Tom and Shiv regarding her ovulation is cueing us in, not even to a pregnancy, but that that desire from him and her lack of readiness will become a more central issue as the season or perhaps next season moves on. And with the president stepping down, does this mean that we are more likely to see Gil become president? And what are the implications of that for Waystar Royco? Bring it back to Eric Bogosian. The email address is fuckoff at firecrotchandnormcore.com. In the notes for this episode, you will find a link to our live show in London. I sometimes struggle to find links of things in podcast descriptions. If everyone just Googles 21 Soho, Firecrotch and Normcore, they'll find the link. Or or look either of us up on Twitter. And we'll be incessantly talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to sell that, Sarah said before that my presence on a stage, my energy on a stage 
is very reminiscent of Kendall hovering in the background while Carl was speaking. I don't really believe that to be true. I think you've got more of a Jerry vibe, to be very honest with you. (laughs) Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code MOM.